Welcome to Trial Stories, an informative discussion of civil justice with a focus on the human story. I'm your host, Arkady Frechtman, a New York City trial lawyer passionate about helping serious injury victims and their families. Hi, everybody. This is attorney Arkady Frechtman, a New York City personal injury trial attorney. And today we're doing last week tonight. It's your FAQs. We're answering your questions. We're looking at the comments on our channel and answering all your questions from the last week. So from the last time I did this series, the first question for today is uh, from Jean Osterweise. And the question is, I've been on workman's comp for 23 years and had several surgeries and feel abused by the doctors who act like every time I see them, they ask me why. I have several reasons why I live in a loop with my PTSD, that is post-traumatic stress disorder. I have bulging disc, a stringing spine goes on and on, getting worse, not better, and bad doctors, and some that are right on, still not better, and OWCP wants to retire me, no one here in California. Yeah, so hmm, that's a tough situation. I'm really sorry to hear that, that's, that's just horrible. I'd be happy to schedule a consult. Like if you had a question, you could text me 347-566-9595. I'd have to hear you out and listen to more of the story. If it's a straight workers comp, if there's a third party lawsuit, if you have a workers comp lawyer in California, but perhaps you're not happy with them, I may be able to you know, find someone else for you. I do know a lot of lawyers out in California, although I am here in New York, um, you know, whatever you need but it sounds like you know a d difficult situation. And with respect to PTSD, we recently just did a video about PTSD and how it's as valuable as a brain injury. So if there is a third party lawsuit with PTSD, it can be as valuable as a TBI. So uh, there was a separate video that we did about that. So we're gonna I, either post it, it, either it's been posted recently or it will be posted very soon, but we just shot that video earlier this week, in fact. And I did a lot of research in order to prepare that video. Okay, let's see. What is the next question? Question number two for today is from, uh, actually, it's more of a comment uh, from Ricky Harris. He says, great content. I have learned a ton from you during this future journey. Thank you again for your time you take for us watchers. No, you're very welcome. You know, it's all about being grateful and, you know, trying to help other people. I think that's my, my, my real mission. I'm trying to help serious injury victims and their families. So if it gives you any kind of benefit, that's great. You know, just ask your question, comment. We're here for you. That's our, our entire vision and our entire mission, both with myself and of my law firm, is helping serious injury victims and their families. And, you know, if I can help you by representing you and get something myself, I mean, sure, everybody's happy to make a profit if you can, but I'm not one of these lawyers that, like these billboard billboard lawyers, you know, they put the, they're all about the profit. What, what they're really trying to do, these, some lawyers, you know, what they're really trying to do is just profit off other people's injuries. And that's really not the best way to practice. The best way to practice is just find what you're really passionate about and truly help people. So if I could help someone and not make a penny, you know, 
but I've helped someone, so that's still fine. Of course, you know, if you can make uh, compensation, that's good too. But I think too many people focus on the money aspect of it, right? Making money. And that's why some lawyers get a bad rep, right? That's why there are all these lawyer jokes, right? Because lawyers are trying to make money off of someone else's injury. And that's not necessarily the best thing to do or the number one priority. The number one priority has to be about the person, right? Can you help the person? If you can't help them, then maybe don't get involved. If you can help them, then then do whatever you can to help them. And then the money will come. That's a secondary uh, gain. That's not the primary objective. Okay, let's see what other questions we have. Again, from Ricky Harris, can you make a short video on PTSD after an accident and reoccurrence of mental health issues after an accident? That would be awesome as well. I think mental health, diet, exercise, what you can is a very important factor on getting well after a traumatic brain injury or traumatic injury. Yeah, absolutely. We just shot a video about PTSD and how it's as valuable as a brain injury. So check that out. It's either been posted or it will be posted very soon. It was about half an hour video. Um, you know, it had a lot of information. I spoke kind of quickly in that video. Um, there, there was, um, it was actually a compendium of two different sources, uh, just like my own general knowledge about TBI and PTSD, as well as there was a, a CLE that was put on by a doctor who writes uh, scientific journal articles on PTSD. So that was one of the sources. And then the other one was another CLE that was put on by a lawyer, and he had he does a lot of trials with T PTSD. And so it was some information that I, I gleaned from both of those sources, as well as my own general knowledge. So I thought that was a good video, but let you guys uh, take a look and let us know. And then please comment on that video. And if you have any other questions about PTSD, then, you know, we could make follow-up videos because it's such a huge topic, you know, just the idea of PTSD. It's not really something that can be covered in a half hour video. There's just so many subcategories. There's the, you know, mechanism of how it happens, the, the actual um, biology of it and the, uh, how it's a brain injury. So all of that, right. It, you have to get into the brain and all of the different parts of the brain. Like there's the reptilian brain, the brain stem, then there's the limbic system, and then there's the cortex or the cerebrum. And that's more of like the, when people say thinking fast or thinking slow. So the cerebrum is where you have your executive function. That's more like thinking slow. You need time to make decisions, right? To think things through. And so a lot of PTSD is um, from either the reptilian brain, the brain stem, or the limbic system, right? So that is more like a reaction. So if you were in like, say a car crash and you're just like scared of being in a car, when you see a car, you might start to shake. And it's not like you're thinking, hey, I wanna shake. It's just, it just happens. There's only like one cell that, the, um, that has to be traveled, one synapse, one cell, and then boom, it's just instantaneous. Almost like people have fears of spiders or fears of um, snakes. You, know, you see a snake, oh my God, it's a snake, it's a spider. It's not, they're not thinking about that. It just, it's just instantaneous. So that's how um, PTSD works. But yeah, check out that video. It's a pretty good, it's a pretty good video, I think. Um, okay, and here is another comment from Mr. Rahman, and he says, thank you so much for making this video. And he's referring to a video about bus accidents. Also dealing with a bus accident, this helped a lot. 
Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, that, that was, I think I made the bus accident video actually in response to someone's comment. It might've been his comment requesting the video. So if you have any requests, just let us know and we'd be happy to, uh, you know, take your requests and make a video about it. Here's another question also from the same person. Have you ever done or seen a case where it's a six level cervical surgery, C2, C3, C4 are disc replacements and C5, C6, C7 is a fusion and there's a hundred percent liability on the defendant in a rear end crash. If you've seen a case like this or similar to this, what was the settlement verdict? Well, you know, I mean, yeah, that sounds like a serious case. Look, you have a six level surgery, so that could be 10 million. It could be more. It's hard to say exactly. It depends on where, right? With the city and state. It also depends on um, some other factors. So it's hard to say just from a comment how much it'll be worth. And I think um, he was saying, uh, do you know how, oh, I, I, was, I was asking, okay, how, how much the insurance is? And I believe it's like unlimited insurance. But I, I believe I said something like, look, a six level surgery can be worth at least 5 million if there's enough coverage, it could be worth more than that. And then he was saying, but um, he was saying that, um, if the policy is open. Okay, yeah, if the policy is open, it could be even higher because then there's no limit, right? That's like, it breaks the, the roof off of the, off of the limit. So then an open policy, then the sky's the limit. It could be much more, whatever the verdict is. So I would really work up that case. I would try to get the human story, loss of enjoyment of life, you know, um, life care plan if necessary. Of course, all the medical evidence and just try to get as much as possible for all the different categories because you have past pain and suffering, future pain and suffering. You have the economic damages, perhaps the lost wages. You have the loss of enjoyment of life, whatever the jury instructions allow for in your jurisdiction and just try to maximize it. You know, you line items for each, whatever um, the law says you can get and just maximize each. And then when you add it all up, it could be a huge amount. So that's that's a great case. That That's a very, very good case. And uh, yeah, I mean, basically it's just, there's no exact science to it, of course, right? All cases are different. You could have the same exact um, injury and in two different uh, cases, you know, and then one gets, let's say a million dollars, the other one gets 10 million. Why? Because, well, maybe one person was more likable, more credible, or maybe one lawyer picked a better jury than the other lawyers. Right? So, so it's not like an exact science. It's all kind of like saying like, you know, you have, there were two surgeries and they were both cancer surgeries. One was successful. The person healed. They have no cancer. The other one, you know, he lived another three months, then he died. Well, you know, I mean, it's not necessarily the surgeon's fault, right? There are other factors. One person's cancer might have gone into remission. The other person might have had um, a recurrence or a metastasis even after the surgery. So it's just like that. It's like you never know. It's not an exact science. We can't say, especially like, you know, off a comment, we can't say exactly what something's going to be worth. Okay, let's go to the next question. And that is about New York. It's from Mr. Cuevas. And he asks, how long could it take after a deposition in New York? Well, again, you know, there's not really any set timetable, but usually after a deposition, it could be as quick as just a few weeks, right? Because after a deposition, the defendants already know what your case is about. They already know how your injury happened and they know what your um, injury did to you, right? How it affected your life, a little bit about your medicals, a little bit about your human story. They also can report to their carrier about how you 
testify, whether you're honest, how you appear, how you would present to a jury, right? Because that's all very, very important. So then, you know, a case could settle right at a deposition, during a deposition. The case could settle a day later, a week later. The case could settle, um, you know, but, it, but, but in reality, like, if it doesn't, it shouldn't be too much longer because once depositions are done, you're going to put the case on the calendar. And then in New York, depending on which venue, right, and, uh, it's a little bit different in each uh, county. But for the most part, you're going to be waiting maybe another year once you certify a case as trial ready, maybe another year and a half, two years in some places, and then you're going to get your trial date. But remember, you don't have to wait for the trial date. The case could still settle either at a pretrial conference, at a mediation, at a settlement conference, or your lawyer could just pick up the phone and settle it with the defendant, right? At any time between the deposition and the trial. So, yeah. So, I mean, that's basically my answer. Uh, he said, oh, he said here it's in the Bronx. Yeah, the Bronx is actually a little bit backed up. The Bronx could be like two plus years waiting for trial. So definitely I would try to settle it. But if you can't, you know, the Bronx is a great venue. People are getting really high verdicts in the Bronx, you know, really high verdicts, like eight figure verdicts, seven figure verdicts, multi-million dollar verdicts. But the, but the, that's the good thing. But the bad thing is the wait there is a little bit longer than other places. But hopefully they're going to fix that. They're going to do some kind of a um, administrative, you know, um, remedy and fix that because it's just too long. It, it can't be that long. It's just not fair. Okay, the next question is from Anonymous Anonymous. They're anonymous twice, and they ask, I had a spinal fusion surgery with laminectomies and decompression. I suffered terrible. The surgeon brushed me off. Finally, he did a scan and did the surgery eight months later. I had a fistula, fluid, etc. My electric pelvis was gone and felt great. Electric pelvis, I'm not sure what that means. But okay, went home two days later, hadn't been home an hour, and my back suddenly felt soaking wet. I was shooting spinal fluid out of my back, soaking bath towels. The surgeon got pissy and told me to lie flat and drink caffeine. It went on two weeks and he still wouldn't see me. I had gotten so delirious and weak. As soon as she looked at my back, it burst open. So it sounds like some kind of infection. Yeah, two spinal infections, infectious disease doctors, OR, uh, pick line, surgeon hasn't even seen her, always assisted, only seen the assistant, and then the back was aspirated before the second surgery, and the doctor told him they got out a ton, and it was still coming, and then retention stitches, painful, hypothermic after the first surgery, and everyone said I should sue. Yeah, I mean, that, you know, that is potentially a case. I would definitely get all the medical records, show them to a local attorney. If you need any help, just text me, 347-566-9595. I would have that local attorney review the case with an expert. And then if the expert, after reviewing all the medical records and speaking with you and maybe examining you if necessary, if the expert feels there's a case of merit, then here in New York, we could file the lawsuit. Now, the statute of limitations is two years and six months from the date of the malpractice, the date of the medical negligence. That's in New York. In every state, it's different. But for the most part, I think a lot of the statutes are similar, like two years, uh, maybe three years, uh, usually. But you could look it up. You just Google it, and they'll, they'll tell you what the statute is in your state. You didn't, they didn't put what state they're from, so I'm not sure. But yeah, feel free to reach out to us. I'd be happy to help you with that kind of case. I, I, I handle a lot of medical malpractice cases. And that sounds like it could be some sort of a mistake. I mean, in, in one way, infections do happen. And some people say infections are a risk of the procedure. But, you know, there are a lot of counter arguments to that. And there's a lot that a lawyer can do to still win a case with an infection. And especially here, because it seems like 
the doctor wasn't even willing to see you and sending the assistant and, you know, all of that can play into uh, whether he was negligent or not. Okay, let's go to the next question. The next question is from Beautiful Brown Baby. And she says, my attorney been pretending to be helping since 2019. I just found out they never showed up to any hearings for a court date. And basically the statute already ran out and uh, my case is in California and um, my attorneys lied on paper saying that I accepted an offer. And uh, so they got paid, but they kept the money and uh, not showing up. And I could really use help. Okay. Yeah, I mean, like, feel free to text us. Again, it's 347-566-9595. If the case is still in court and it's viable, but the attorney is not helping or, you know, just kind of like checked out, maybe you can get another attorney. If the attorney really like stole some kind of money and then the case is closed and they're really lying, then you would have to go to the ethics committee and then they could maybe help you. In New York, we have something known as the Lawyers Fund for Client Protection. And so it's like a fund where you can get funds if an attorney has has uh, cheated or lied. I'm not sure. They probably have something similar in California, but we could look into that. Okay, let's go to the next question. And um, let's see what we have here. Okay, here's a question from King Sadat. And he says, I had two surgeries, open reduction, internal fixation, had nightmares and mental severe depression, lost everything. It's been three years end up eviction and sent up for dead 17 times, survived still on the street fighting the case. How much my case worth, sir? It's wrist permanent gunshot injury. Wow, so that's, that's I'm sorry to hear that. That's, that's horrific. That is a serious, serious case. I don't know how the case happened. A gunshot injury, uh, depending on the liability, uh, two surgeries, open reduction internal fixation basically means the fracture is so bad that it has to get opened and it has to get reduced and fixated with metal. So either plates and screws, or sometimes they have um, vertical external fixators and then internal fixators are usually plates and screws. Um, he didn't say what part of the body, but he also has the severe depression and mental, like we talked about PTSD, or there was another video I did about emotional injuries. Um, so yeah, all of that comes into play and um, it's a, it's a serious case. I mean, yeah, I'd have to reach out to me. I'd have to find out more because I don't know what the liability is, you know, like what happened except for this gunshot wound and who's at fault for that and whether there's um, like it could be a negligent security type case. That's a possibility. So I'd have to learn more in order to give a definitive answer. But definitely it sounds like it has a lot of potential. It sounds like it. So, but good luck to you. I hope you feel better and I hope you get justice in your case. That's what it's all about. Okay, let's go to the next question. And it is from Matthew Gilliard. And he says, sir, is there any new changes or rules for the state of South Carolina in 2022? Okay, South Carolina. So not that I know of, but if you need a consultation in South, South Carolina, I do know some excellent lawyers out there. So I could, uh, you know, refer you to one of the lawyers and maybe they could answer your question, get a consultation, or if you needed them to help. I'm not familiar if there are any new changes, but I believe from my memory, this person was asking, they had also like a strong case maybe against the state or against the prison. 
And I believe what had happened is there's a cap and they wanted to see if you can get around the cap. I think the cap was like 250,000 and their case was worth more. But you know, if it's a cap like that, you can't really, there's nothing new that would get around the cap. I think the only way to do it is to petition the legislature and to change the law. That's the only way to really get around it, unfortunately. Okay, the next comment from Calico Jack. Clicked on this video by mistake. Thought this was Russell Wilson. Hmm, interesting. I think I do look a little bit like Russell Wilson, I think. But I answered him, I said, I have a much better win percentage. <laughs> yeah, Russell Wilson hasn't been doing so well. So I think we have a much higher win percentage, at least in 2022. Okay, let's go to the next one. I like the music in this video more than the other music you use. You should use this track more often. And that is from Independent Medical Exam video. You need to know this about IMEs. Hmm, okay, I'll check that out. Maybe I could uh, change the music and uh, use that one. I don't even know which one that is, but I'd have to listen to it again and figure it out. Okay, next question from JN. 30 years ago, a bunch of guys kicked my head into a wall was unconscious for only a few days, I was told, but no memory for months. Never any treatment afterwards, no medical insurance. It was hard to admit to myself that I changed, but finally had to. Could not and still can't tell people apart. Organization is, well, not good. Lost all my friends. I hid from people, ashamed. I know I became kind of weird and awkward. I keep to myself after work, no family on my own at 18 and happened at 20. Was tough for a time, still a mess, but not so hard like it was earlier. I live alone, my messy apartment has a lot to do with that. I try to organize, but hard to make the time. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like some sort of a really serious TBI or possibly the PTSD that we talked about earlier, but you know, I really am really sorry to hear that. If you need any kind of legal help, like feel free to reach out and, you know, wishing you all the best for a recovery. Sometimes you can get a recovery if you have the right medical care. So perhaps somebody guiding this person to the right medical uh, team of professionals, best in class care can then lead to a recovery and a better uh, result. So I'm, ho I'm hoping that'll happen. Okay, let's see what other questions do we have? Oh, here's a question from Out of Sight, and he asks, I have a question. If you have an 18-wheeler case with a client who's had treatment at pain management for six months, two operations, all because of a herniated disc pushing on a nerve due to the 18-wheeler hitting the car, there's three neck injections, three lower back injections, a microdiscectomy, which did not help, uh, to finally having major surgery, a C3, C4 and C4, C5 cervical arthroplasty with bills totaling $100,000. I've heard several times that each case is different, but if you have to put a dollar amount on this case, not to mention it being the 18-wheeler's fault, what would you say? Thank you. Yeah, I mean, this case, uh, and, he, and he mentions the cases from Philadelphia. Um, so yeah, I mean, a, ca a case like this, I really think it could be worth you know, multiple millions and mostly because, you know, of course, we don't know anything about the client's like human story, how this crash has changed his life or her life. So that is a major, major part, right? That could be worth more than the actual medical injury, right? If it's presented 
the right way because ultimately like the case is about what you make it about. So if you're the plaintiff lawyer presenting the case, if you make it about like say the human story, how his life has changed, um, you know, like some people commented they became homeless, they lost all their friends. If you could really convey something like that, right? That that's what happened. It could be a huge case. It could be worth 20 million, right? But see, a lot of these questions are asking, what is it worth? And they're just giving me the medical injury. But it's not like that. It's not like a, a computer formula, right? Where I say, I have bulging disc L5S1. That's worth 10,000. I have, you know, herniated disc uh, C3, C4 with surgery. That's worth 2 million. It's not like a formula like that. It's not an exact science. So it's really hard for me to say. But in Philadelphia, I think the venue is pretty good. And these injuries, if I'm, if I'm, you know, limiting the answer to the injuries that the person uh, gave us, the, I mean, you know, obviously the injections to the neck and lower back, that could be worth, let's say, a hundred thousand right there. The injections could be a little bit more. The microdiscectomy could be worth a few hundred thousand, three hundred, five hundred. But then the real value, I think, is from the cervical arthroplasty because that is a major surgery. It's two levels, uh, three and four, and four and five. That's two different levels. That's serious. That could be worth multiple millions. So when you add it all together, I mean, conservatively, I think it's worth like two to three million, at least, as long as there's enough coverage from that 18 wheeler, which will also depend on how much, um, you know, how much insurance there is. And you have to find out the primary, the excess, the umbrella, the supplemental, the concurrent, because, you know, and then there's also other things like you have a real lawyer who specializes in trucking they can get into like shipper liability, broker liability. There could be a separate insurance for the trailer than for the tractor. You know, there's a lot of different elements, but you, but it just depends on the lawyer also who's handling the case, whether they're, you know, pursuing all those different avenues, whether they know how to pursue all those different avenues. So yeah, if you have any questions, feel free to just text me, reach out. I'd be happy to help you. Okay. The next question is from Dwayne Carter. Hello. I want to thank you for the videos that you provide us. Uh, very informative, but I have a question that I haven't seen an answer to on your videos. Me and my girlfriend were stopped at a red light for about five to 10 seconds and we got rear-ended by a truck. The liability is clear because in the police report, the driver stated he wasn't paying attention. Now, my question is, we have been treating since January of 2022, and she just finished her treatment about two weeks ago, and I'm still treating for medical issues. So can she settle her half of the case, or does she have to wait for me to finish treating? Okay, that's a good question. Yeah. Well, I think that, you know, each of you could settle at different times. You don't have to wait. One person doesn't have to wait for the other. In a case like that, where it's clear liability on the truck, right? You guys were stopped for like 10 seconds, up to 10 seconds. So you're not, I mean, she's not suing you and you're not suing her, right? So you're both suing the, the truck, the owner and the operator of the truck, right? So you're like what's known as united in interest, right? It's clear. You're, you're both going against the truck. Now the truck has insurance, right? And they'll have a per person limit and a per accident limit. So each of you can get compensation. So if the lawyer feels like her injuries are a certain value and he or she wants to try to settle her case and she's all done treating, she's not gonna have any more surgeries and the lawyer's ready to settle her case, meaning her case is ripe for settlement, the lawyer can go ahead and do it. You know, as long as they understand that later on and they should put the carrier on notice, the insurance company for the truck on notice that there's this other uh, person and then the other person being yourself 
is is still getting treatment and then they'll they'll be settling as well but they don't have to you know she doesn't have to wait for you no there's no reason to do that she could settle right away okay let's see what other questions do we have here's a question can trigger point injections make a nice case brain injury bad memory loss epidural injection bulging disc headaches almost going on a year now couldn't move my neck for three months, eight months of physical therapy and still going. Semi at fault, head on collision, not stopping at a stop sign. And he said this was in Chicago. He's getting epidurals and he's going to need epidurals for life, but he doesn't need uh, surgery. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, injections can definitely make a good case. I would say like from my experience, epidural injections are worth more than trigger point injections. Trigger points are more like you know, part of physical therapy, they're not really worth that much by themselves. But as a part of a course of treatment um, with epidurals, epidurals could definitely be worth a significant amount if you have, uh, like, say, a herniated disc and you need the epidurals. Um, there's also like percutaneous discectomy, which is a minimally invasive procedure that can make the case worth even more. But what I really see here in this question, uh, and, and, you know, real like the elephant in the room, He's got a, a brain injury and he says it's bad memory loss. So has that been worked up? You know, is there a neuro, is there a neurologist? Is there a neuropsychologist? Is there a uh, neuroradiologist, meaning like a 3T MRI, um, a neuropsychological workup, a neurologist? I would, I would focus on that, right? Because the brain injury is worth way more than any epidurals. A brain injury could be worth just by itself if it's worked up the right way and you have the medical evidence as well as like family and friends, people who knew you before the crash, people that know you after that could say how you've changed. That could be worth multiple millions, right? So if you're not going to need or have any surgery, I would focus on the brain injury and work that up. And the good thing about brain injuries from a plaintiff's perspective is that I don't necessarily think that you need to work them up like right away. So even if this case like happened a while ago, right, like many months ago, and you haven't had a brain injury workup, you can still get it now as long as the doctors say, look, that's from the crash. And then also using those circle of friends, witnesses, right, people that knew you before to explain how your life has changed, people from work, people from neighbors, friends, you know, whoever's in your life. But definitely in Chicago, that could have significant, significant value. Again, it's hard for me to say exactly, but like if the brain injury is worked up, it could be multiple millions. Okay, let's go to the next question. We have a question from a Mr. Cabrera, and he asks, I had an accident at work and I have a disc protrusion on disc L5S1, but a week later I started with pain on my shoulders daily, which I believe may be cervical disc damage. I called the insurance adjuster and denied treatment because I didn't mention at the time of my first visit, what can be done for the insurance to approve treatment for the cervical issue? Please advise what options I have. This happened in Massachusetts. Okay, so that's an interesting question too. It sounds like it's workers' comp, but it's not clear. We just know it's an accident at work. So when you have an accident at work, it could be pure workers' comp, meaning all you have is workers' comp. It's a work accident, and then you get your lost wages, and you can get your uh, medical bills paid. But there's nobody to sue, because in most, state, most states, you cannot sue your employer right directly. Now, you could have a work accident with a third-party component where you're suing a third party, someone else that's at fault, that's not your employer. Those cases, you have both the personal injury lawsuit as well as the workers' comp. So it's unclear here. But his real question is, since he didn't mention the shoulder um, and uh, they, they denied treatment. So, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, 
Uh, I'm not sure exactly what treatment they denied. He just says he has this L5S1 disc herniation or protrusion. Um, oh, and a week later, he, st- he had pain on his shoulder. I see. So they probably denied the shoulder treatment. I mean, I think you can get around that if you have a workers' comp lawyer or if you have um, like just a local attorney that's good. Uh, they should be able to get around that because it's a medically known thing, right? That like people, especially after like say any kind of accident, some things are instantaneous that you're going to feel right away, like that day, like maybe like, for example, here, the lower back injury, right? The, the disc protrusion, you felt it right away. So they know about that, but then you didn't feel the shoulder until a week later, but that's a known thing that maybe sometimes things get uh, felt uh, later. In fact, like that's why they don't do MRIs the date of a car crash or the date of a fall. They do MRIs like three weeks later because these injuries can appear later. So the fact that it appeared just one week later, I don't see an issue um, with you being able to get medical care for it. It sounds like maybe you were trying to uh, deal with the insurance adjuster on your own. And that's always a mistake because they try to strong arm you and and use their bully technique. So if you get a lawyer that knows what they're doing, I, I don't see an issue there. Okay. Another question here, can you do a video next on big spinal fusion disc replacement verdicts? Yes, absolutely. That's a good topic. You know, spinal fusions and, you know, in general, spine surgeries are very common injuries. So I will do a video. I'll, I'll do a little bit of research on verdicts, probably verdicts that happened in New York since I'm in New York. But I could talk about maybe recent verdicts, whether, uh, you know, all types of recent verdicts, whether they were defense verdicts for zero or you know, big verdicts, small verdicts, maybe all the verdicts from now until until like 2019 till now that I could find on the jury verdict reporter. And then I could do another one where I filter the search and I only search for big cases, like say 5 million and up. And we could talk about all the big cases and how people got those big results, 5 million and higher and what it took and what those cases were about. So yeah, I'll do some research and I'll, I'll shoot a video about that. Okay, the next question. I was hit by a semi with a trailer and he kept going for a good 25 minutes. He had no idea he switched lanes and hit me. I have video of me chasing him, trying to get his attention. Then he finally pulled over and denied the whole thing. Yeah, well, sorry to hear that. I mean, but if he changed lanes into you and he had no idea that he did it and you have proof, like, you know, get a police report, take photos at the scene, it should be a clear-cut case because that's a VTL, a vehicle and traffic law violation. I mean, at least here in New York, I mean, most states, you can't change lanes when there's a car in that lane. Obviously, you have to make sure it's safe first before you change lanes. So if a tractor trailer like that, a semi with a trailer and you change lanes into you, that's a slam dunk case. It's completely his fault. And uh, it's a good it's a good case. As long as you know there's any kind of injury, I would, I would recommend getting medical care. That could be a huge case. That could be worth, you know, millions. So excellent case. Okay, the next question. Two months ago, I was hit, rear-ended by a tractor trailer when prepared to exit from the highway. I hired a lawyer and followed the procedures for medical treatment. I got a head injury, needed to put 15 staples for two weeks on my scalp to recover the wound, and now I have some scar. I went to an MRI for my head, shoulder, and neck. They found some disc herniation. Even I don't feel any pain. I'm going twice a week to physical therapy, and last time I visited pain management. The doctor recommended to put me on one-time epidural steroid injection, but if I don't want, he will prescribe me some medication for pain. I don't have any pain. Just when I drive more than three to four hours, start getting some pain on the neck, but when it stops for 15 minutes, it disappears. The 
reason I am not sure if I have to go with epidural steroid injection is because a year ago, I had heavy COVID treatment and they injected me a lot of steroids after that. My blood glucose was going too high. It took me several months to get back to normal. And even I have some pain. It is not so bad not to be handled. So my main concern is if I don't get the injection, how this will affect the settlement. And of course, any idea how much money I can get for this case in Texas. So, yeah, I mean, it depends on like, you know, which city in Texas, obviously, uh, yeah, it would depend on a little bit on that. It sounds like a good case. Again, it's a tractor trailer. So tractor trailers usually have millions in insurance. So that's good. A head injury with the staples is already something, right? So again, like the, like the last question, maybe a, a little bit of a workup. It could be an MTBI or it could be like uh, some kind of a concussion. So maybe a workup from a neurologist. Just get that checked out because it's good. It's for your health to make sure you don't have the injury. You want to rule that out. So then you know, hey, I don't have any kind of mild traumatic brain injury. But if you do have it, well, then you're entitled to compensation. And then with respect to the back, I mean, it sounds like they, they have um, some, some herniations and they don't want to get injections. So, I mean, that's really a decision you have to make with your doctor. You know, have the doctor evaluate you and, and tell the doctor about that history you had with steroids and the fact that you might have some contraindications. There are a lot of different procedures. You don't have to do like injections, right? There's epidural steroid injections. Then there's also a radio frequency ablation. There's an entire field of pain management, like percutaneous discectomies. Not everything will be contraindicated. Like a percutaneous discectomy, for example, they don't put anything in your body. All they're doing is removing the leak from the herniation. So if your disc has ruptured, and the liquid inside the disc is leaking outside the disc and touching the nerve roots causing pain, all the striker decompressor that goes in does is it removes that extra portion. Now the disc is a perfect circle the way it should be, a healthy disc should be. So that could be an option. But you know, even if you don't do anything, I think the case could have substantial value because of the staples and because of the head injury. So I wouldn't really, you know, try to determine what I'm going to do based on how much I'm going to get. I would just do whatever you need for your health first, and then the the result will come. The, the result will come. Okay, the next question. Slip and fall in Jamaica at a large resort. This resulted in a head injury that required 10 stitches on site. I now have facial scarring that I'll have to deal with for the rest of my life. The resort's legal team has indicated they would like to proactively settle this matter as they are aware that a staff member removed a caution slip sign the night of the accident. Pictures show the sign had been removed and pictures show the sign had been put back up the next morning. Could you answer on a future Q&A, how would a case like this be handled since it happened outside of the US? Also, could a case potentially like this, what could it be worth? Is it worth less since it could be based in Jamaica, even though I reside in the US? Love your content. Keep up the great work. Yeah, this is a good question. I mean, you know, I don't know if I can answer that off the top of my head. Like right now, I'd have to do a little research. I'm not familiar with Jamaican law, but I have had cases in the Caribbean. Like I believe I had one case maybe in the Dominican Republic, but, but I was able to settle it here in America. And the reason was because the resort also did business in America. I think the resort at, in that case was from Pennsylvania. So we could file the lawsuit, although because there was diversity, meaning different states, the client was in New York and the resort was originally from Pennsylvania, 
they removed it to federal court and that was a, I think a broken leg and it settled, but it didn't get like, as much as I think it would have gotten had the lady fallen in, let's say New York. So it was a little bit tougher in federal court, but it did settle for a substantial amount. Um, here you have 10 stitches, you know, facial scarring. It would depend on the, the, the scar. We'd have to see a photo of the scar, but feel free to reach out to me. If you have a lawyer already, especially a lawyer that's familiar with litigating in the Caribbean, if it has to be litigated in Jamaica or litigating these types of cases, you know, um, resorts in the Caribbean, then great, stay with that lawyer. I actually know a lawyer who's a real specialist in litigating cases in the Caribbean. He actually lives in the Caribbean. And whenever I get a Caribbean case, I usually give him a call, I, I, I give him the referral and he's done a great job on these. So if you need that resource, just text me 347-566-9595 and he could probably give you more of a definitive answer exactly to the questions that you're having as well as possibly help you with the case. Um, but yeah, but, but, but I would say a lot of these resorts are not based in the country because they have a location like, you know, pretty much they could be based out of Florida. They could be based out of any state or they could even be based out of Europe, right? They could be from Spain or from wherever. And then they just have locations like one in Jamaica, one in Dominican Republic, one in Anguilla, one in somewhere else, you know, all over the Caribbean. So it just depends on that. So it, it's, it, it's kind of like a specific detailed, um, based on what's happening in, in that specific factual pattern. So it's hard for me to say without knowing like who, who, who the resort was. Okay. Okay, the next comment from Blake Woodcrest, he says, wow. And he's responding to the video, how does a pre-existing injury affect my personal injury claim? And he says, wow, I'm sure that most folks take that narrative from the defense and even an inexperienced attorney and get shafted. Yeah, I mean, sometimes, you know, people do take you know, or adopt the defense mantra and then they, they, they don't believe that they can get more and then they get shafted or just, you know, it's un unfortunate, but it does happen. Okay, um, the next question. Oh, we've got a lot of questions here. Okay, we're almost done. The next question. Um, so I was wondering, the lawyer takes one third of the amount. So let's just say, for example, a case went to trial and got 30 million in total, 27 million for past and future pain and suffering as non-economic damages, and two million for future lost wages, and one million for future medical bills. Would the attorney only take one third of the pain and suffering amount, or would the attorney also take one third of the plaintiff's economic damages? I mean, most attorneys will take one third of the recovery, just the total recovery. So they're not going to limit it, like you know, pain and suffering. I'm going to take the fee, but like economic damages, I'm not going to take the fee. Because you know, you might think. I mean, some people might think, well, how come the attorney's taking a third of the economic damages? That's just my lost salary. If I made, like, say, a hundred thousand dollars a year, and now I'm not making that hundred thousand, why should I only get seventy thousand? Because the attorney's taking a third. But you got to remember that the attorney has to do a lot of work to get that. He has to hire an economist, maybe a vocational rehabilitation expert, perhaps an occupational therapist. You know, there's a lot of life care plan. There's a lot of work, a lot of experts, a lot of money up front. And, you know, being able to obtain uh, those economic damages. So usually it's just like the total amount that the attorney gets. Okay, the next question. Can you make a video about getting rear-ended by a dump truck and your passenger? Just the usual outcomes on cases like that. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think there's any particular, you know, outcome just because it's a dump truck. I mean, I could do a video about dump trucks, but it'll be more about, you know, maybe 
what discovery to get in dump truck cases or garbage trucks or, you know, stuff like that. The, the amount really depends on your injury, right? And how it's affected your life. That's the damages portion. The liability is more like how it happened, right? Whether it was a trip and fall, a truck, a bus, a motorcycle, a dump truck. So I don't really think there's a connection there necessarily. But I mean, I would say in general, just generally speaking, yeah, dump truck cases should be very serious cases because it's a dump truck. You got hit by it and you're going to get seriously injured. If you got seriously injured, they're going to be high value cases. The outcome should be good. If you got uh, rear-ended, that's clear liability. You're going to win on summary judgment, right? As a matter of law, the dump truck is at fault if they rear-ended you. So that's good in terms of the legal um, result. But yeah, feel free to text me the 347-566-9595. I'm happy to give you a personal consult and maybe steer you in the right direction. If you let me know what city and state you're in. Uh, and then the final question, okay, the home stretch, the final question comes from Victor Jackson. And he says, so the more injuries, the more you could be compensated, question mark. Yep. I mean, yeah, obviously, you know, the whole purpose of the law is to put you back in the position that you were in before you got injured. So the more injury that you have, the more was taken away from you. So then the more compensation they have to give you to put you back to the same level you were before you got hurt. So it makes sense. Um, okay, I hope this has been helpful. Let us know what other questions you have. Like and subscribe to our channel. Leave us comments. Leave us questions. And that way we can do another last week tonight, next week, and answer all your questions. And we are here for you. Okay, everyone. Have a great day. Have a great weekend. And we'll